The Fontenelle Final Bell Podcast is presented by Fontenelle Hybrids. The solutions you need, the relationships you trust. It's time for the Fontenelle Final Bell on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Clay Patton. Joining us to talk the trade today is Mike Zuzalo of Global Commodity Analytics. And Mike, as we end a shortened week, because tomorrow, Good Friday, we don't trade, and we do want to make everybody aware, no markets tomorrow due to Good Friday. So the end of the day, we had the USDA report on uh, prospective plantings and stock numbers. It's the end of the month. It's the end of a quarter. There was a lot of expectation and build up to this day and i think on the grains page we weren't disappointed no we weren't we kept march madness alive and well even off the basketball court here at this point with this usda acreage number and it was a different type of report than what we've been used to clay not just the fact that the soybeans are going to be planting higher numbers of acres than the corn for the first time since 1983 but maybe even more importantly to me is that I've been doing this almost 25 years. I can't remember a year, and I'm going to have to go back and look at this during the holiday weekend and, and see if there was another time where we saw both corn acres and bean acres drop and go below the average trade estimate. And, in fact, the soybeans went well below by almost a full million acres, below the lowest trade guess, corn acres at 88 and a fraction million planted came in about a half a million higher than the lowest trade guess. So it's very rare that you see both of them go down. Usually it's a Rob Peter to pay Paul type scenario where one goes up at the expense of other, but uh, of the other. But this one, this one uh, in, in Thursday showed us very clearly that spring wheat acres were going to be well above what the trade was expecting. Winter wheat acres stayed elevated, and so the all wheat acres really came in about 1.1 million acres higher than the trade was assuming. Cotton acres also came in big. That probably sets us up for a scenario where the wheat remains until it comes back on the demand side or we re-engage and uh, reignite the Plains weather market. Wheat's probably going to be one of the problematic areas in terms of allowing the corn and beans to go as high as maybe they'd like to. On the flip side of this, we have the stocks and exports on this report as well. And stocks, again, we have a large carryout of grain in the U.S., but is there possibly more demand for that grain going in? And with smaller acres, more likely we'll have smaller harvests this year. So is that still a positive for the grains? It is, but I think you bring up a huge point, Clay, in that the this uh, disappointing uh, stocks report for the bull. In other words, we came in with a wheat planted uh, number that was big in terms of acres, but the stocks was a little bit lower. Just the opposite in the corn and beans. While the acreage numbers were price-friendly, the stocks numbers were both at the very top of the highest trade guesses. And so this suggests that you're going to have a very sloppy spread. In other words, you're going to have ample supplies, if not burdensome supplies. I want to say that the corn and beans both are a record high for the month of March on a March stocks report. So it would make sense to me that you would have a very sloppy spread where the front-end markets are going to get uh, more beat up in terms of not being able to rally as much because supplies are ample here in the United States. And probably even more importantly for the soybeans is that you're going to start to see Brazil come online with their new crop bean harvest. 
and even Argentina is starting to harvest. I think the last I saw Argentina's bean harvest was at about 10% this week. I believe that was as of Wednesday. Yes, yields are low, but again, we've got supplies coming onto the market. And so I think this is where the United States producer really wants to pay attention here. I recommended after the report numbers came out for uh, corn feed hedgers to go ahead and lock in all spring and all summer all the way to the end of August their corn feeding needs at this stage, whether it's by buying a combination of cash bushels or whether it's uh, adding to some bought calls in the uh, July or September contract. I think the cash market low is a solid uh, is solid at this point, um, but in the beans it may be a little bit more sloppy yet, so I'm doing more hand-of-the-mouth for the meal buying as far as hog and chicken producers. And then we were talking about traders. What about our spread traders? Is this kind of opening the door to them seeing more of a bearish-type spread scenario setting up with those stocks compared to acres where they'll sell more on the front months and buy more on the future months? Yeah, that's exactly what we're talking about here, and I think that's one of the key elements to how high can this market go on weather. You still have that issue with the supply in the front end. You still have the issue with the trade issues between China and the United States with NAFTA uh, in the United States, Mexico, and Canada. All these things are very, very key in the next 60 days. So I guess at, at the end of the day, and the market closed right near the highs from March, um, in, in late February, March, and corn and beans for new crop, at the end of the day, my analysis would suggest that you need the wheat market to take you above these levels. You obviously need weather still on your side to take you above those old highs, especially with the fact that you don't have a lot of demand underneath you and you have these uncertain trade issues going on right now. And so you don't want to overplay your hand as a bullish trader, if you ask me. Or what more of what I do is, as far as risk management and hedging is I don't want to overplay my hand as far as what I think the new crop prices can get up to before we actually get into the field. So it's still a hedging market, if you ask me, Clay, because of some of these key elements, and, and probably first and foremost out there uh, for the for the corn person especially is we now have the wheat only $0.64 cents premium to the corn. We now have wheat, in other words, back to a feed grain status and a competitive uh, feed against the corn when it comes to livestock rations. If we don't see that change relatively quickly, in other words, the hard red wheat belt doesn't regain its weather bulletness, uh, you're probably going to see soft red wheat stay at that price level against corn, and you'll actually detract from the feed demand in the corn as we get into the second half of 2018. That's Mike Zuzalo, Global Commodity Analytics, joining us here on the final trading day before Good Friday, before the Easter holiday weekend. And there's been a lot going on. Of course, that USDA report really rallying the grains. We haven't got to the livestock yet. It could have ignited a weather market as well. And just what is the trade psychology coming out of a holiday weekend like this? That's all ahead here on the... Welcome back to the Fontenelle Final Bell on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Clay Patton. Joining us today, Mike Zuzalo, Global Commodity Analytics. And before we get started here, Mike, just want to let our listeners know, today is the last day of trade for this week, going into the Easter holiday. Tomorrow, Good Friday, markets are closed. So really, we're taking a look here at the weekend trade, into the month trade, into the quarter trade. 
And in our previous segment, we talked about the USDA report, both the perspective planning and the stocks number. But there's something else that may come into factor now here for the corn market especially, and that's a weather market where we're seeing more moisture towards the eastern half of the U.S. Yeah, you get east of the Mississippi River, whether you're talking about near Toledo, Ohio, all the way down to the Gulf of Mexico, and you're talking about a situation, Clay, where some of these areas that normally would want to start corn planting uh, starting in the 1st of April, like Mississippi, Louisiana, uh, Tennessee, and even parts of southern Illinois uh, and southern Missouri, you're probably going to have a real tough time doing that. Uh, clients in those areas have told me they've been getting about an inch and a half to two inches of rain. Uh, some have gotten more than that, and that kind of goes all the way to close to Champaign, Illinois. I talked to a producer just before going on the air uh, in Tuscola, Illinois, and they had just gotten another inch. And so you're talking about a situation where you may not have had to talk about weather next week when we come back from the holiday weekend if the acres had been closer to 89.5 or 90 million in the corn. But I think you're going to have to deal with this uh, at this stage of the game because this weather coming in and the ability of the corn acres to be kept high at 88 million. Well, how do you keep uh, corn acres held high? You keep the price elevated, especially in relation to November, to November beans. So this is where, again, we were talking about the spreads before we went to break. I think you really want to watch that December corn, November bean spread at this stage because it looks like it broke down technically after the USDA report and the close for the week. I think that's probably going to be an accurate uh, assessment because of the fundamentals. And I'll just give you an idea. Clarksville, Tennessee, kind of a, a barometer for the north versus the south corn belt from what I watch. They're looking at yet another two inches of rain, possibly two inches of snow uh, in the next 10 days on the most recent uh, GFS model update. And so you're looking at not only wet, but you're looking at cold. So I think this really helps underpin the corn market and especially that new crop market because it's going to be less influenced by those big grain stocks. Now, grains have been the sleeping giant here in the markets for the past several years. But as you look historically, Mike, we talked before going on with the interview about this kind of relating back to 1983. Are there some patterns we should watch from that year to this year? Yeah, this was a year, and again, like we talked about at the top of the show, this is the first time that bean acres are going to overtake corn acres if USDA's numbers are correct for the first time since 1983. So you've got that right there to start looking at. And, and you know, not every year is the same. You can't plan uh, a, a year off of another year. Uh, that's just downright foolish. But it doesn't mean you can't keep an eye on what happened during that time period if you've got some of the fundamentals set up, especially important fundamentals like acres. And so what happened in 1983 was the corn market was coming off a very poor price action, similar to what we just came off of, the 1980 high, and then we just kind of went in the doldrums, 81, 82, all the way into 83, and then we started to go higher in the late February time period for December 1983 corn. That price action it uh, made kind of a peak in the middle of April, tried to come back at the end of April, but then fell once planting came in. And, uh, and, and everything kind of straightened itself out by the time we got to the 1st of June. The planting was taken care of. However, it was a late enough planting that weather was still a factor. And, in fact, we made a low in June, made a low right after the July 4th holiday, and went sharply higher between the July 4th holiday and late August. And we more than took out the April highs in that year for December corn. So 
this is a model that I'll be watching. Again, I'm not going to use it at face value, but I think it's a real nice barometer to see if it tracks. And this is where this next week's rainfall and, and the cold weather maybe sets us up for yet new highs in the month of April, gives me the chance to get some hedges in place, and then we see what the summer weather does to our yield potential. Mike, let's switch gears now. Great positive news here in the grains, but that quickly went against our livestock on the cattle, especially limit down there on a couple of the front months. Hogs being able to regain a little bit of their special, uh, their uh, anti-selling pressure there towards the end, but what all, overall, what do you see here in the livestock trade? Yeah, and just a real quick word on the hogs. We don't need to talk about those much because we're going to get that hogs and pigs report before we get done taping this show, and I think that's point blank, Clay, why we didn't see the hogs fall like we did the cattle, because there wasn't any new New fundamental news coming out, and, and therefore the market was more balanced, waiting for the USDA to give us new numbers. Having said that, the cattle market and the feeder market in particular really didn't take this news well, and this is part of the reason why I locked in the corn feeding hedges for the uh, cattle producers and for the li- all livestock producers, because the feeder corn spread broke down, the feeders are going to new lows against the corn. That's an indication to me that maybe the corn market, at least in the, in the next three to six months, not going to have much pullback at this stage of the game. Mike Zuzalo, Global Commodity Analytics, joining us for the Fontenelle Final Belt Day. Again, remember, Good Friday tomorrow, markets are closed. This is the Fontenelle Final Bell on the Rural Radio Network.